Testing, testing, testing. Okay, that looks really good. Nice. You can go ahead and say whatever you'd like. Okay. Yay! <laughs> testing, testing, testing. It's oh, all looks good. Testing. Douglas Booth is too pretty for reality, but not in a too pretty to live kind of way. Yeah, he's just on the edge. He is. I yeah, I don't buy him as no. a person. He's he's uncanny. <laughs> That's valley. the thing. I don't. Yeah, yeah. He's uncanny valley. I don't buy him as a person. No. I'm fine. I'm fine with it. Um, in a perfume ad. Yes. But I'm not fine with it as a living, breathing person. No, I do. I think he he literally looks like a beautiful painting come to life. That really should go back to being a painting. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the only podcast that pits Jane Austen against the Bronte sisters, but um, doesn't really do that and just pretty much focuses on other 19th century writers. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I am Mary Kravna, Team Austen. And uh, yeah, we are missing Hannah Chapman this week as she's uh, gallivanting around uh, Ireland. Lucky girl. I know. Lucky gal. We are we are in a blustery, haley Chicago now sunny. Yeah, it's being very Chicago October, outside. October day. It's like it's warm and sunny. No, it's hailing. No, it's snowing. Unclear what's happening. Right, and there's wind, which was a perfect. It was the perfect weather to watch mm-hmm. Mary Shelley. It really was. Oh, perfect, perfect October day for Mary Shelley. Yes. That also didn't Uh, know what it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You're very right. All over the place. (laughs) Okay, guys. Wow. So where do we start with this movie? This movie came out last year? Yes. According to to IMDb, it was 2017. But I believe it premiered at Toronto in 2017. Mm -hmm. But it is getting released in the UK and in the US and presumably Canada this year. So oh, okay. 2018. All right. So yeah, fairly new. You guys can look it up. It's for available for rental like just as of like I think this month. And um, it stars Elle Fanning, who I keep wanting to call Dakota, but she's not. The little Fanning. The little Fanning. Which let's talk about that casting decision. <laughs> As you informed me, she was attached from the beginning. So it was like they wanted her. Yes. Uh, It was announced in 2014, and that is when Elle Fanning was originally, she was tied and cast from the beginning. Weird choice. Yeah, it wouldn't be, like, I wonder, is that that when Maleficent was made? Probably. I'm thinking people thought she was going to be more of a... A thing. a thing, but when I think of Maleficent, like that is Angelina Jolie's movie. Like it is, but now having seen this movie, mm-hmm. she's got a slight British accent, and oh, she's yeah. an object of desire that is, you know, on the edge of is it darkness? Is it light? Needs to yeah. be saved, um, but also just like too good for this world, kind of. Yeah, thing. it's uh, it's baffling. Um, the slight accent. Just like the Slight. barest. I, I I like when Hannah does her um, Anne Hathaway, Jane Austen <laughs> accent. It's sort of, it's not 
quite a full Hathaway. It's like a half, half Hathaway. A half, half away. A, a half away. She's like, I'm sort of British. That's actually maybe too British. Just a bit. It's, uh, I'm just a little British. Maleficent's been on TNT a lot, and as I flip channels, I see it. So I always get, mm. Godmother, Godmother. Oh, but you're beautiful. Yeah, that's how British she is. It's, just Godmother. Just slight, slight little. And it's like, um, it's distracting because it's so light. And also it doesn't fit with the character or with the person that I think Mary Shelley was as I am I am reading Romantic Outlaws right now okay. by Charlotte Gordon, which I think is a fa- fantastic, fantastic book. I actually cannot recommend this book enough. Um, and I'm going to say something that I actually find controversial. Like, it's almost like, not, it's almost like fiction. It's nonfiction that's written like fiction in a way, which I hate to say that because I love nonfiction, but so much of it is so dry, especially in the bio area. Right. And this is like really just, it feels almost breathless, like really fast paced. And it um, switches back and forth each chapter, comparing and contrasting Mary Wollstonecraft and her daughter, Mary Godwin, later Mary Shelley. So you kind of go back and forth and you compare like where they were at, you know, certain points of their lives. And um, it's just, it's a great book. And I hope that book gets adapted to a movie. Um, And they both just seem like such fiery, interesting, dark, troubled, feisty women. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, that's who I want to see on screen. And then we turn on the movie and it's just such a, such a soft portrayal. Like, Elle Fanning looks great, but she looks like she should be shooting an editorial for Vogue that's inspired by <laughs> Mary Shelley. That's that's a really great way to put it. And it's, and yeah, it's like, it isn't, I, I can't think of other things that I've seen her in recently that have kind of made her more front and center and more aggressive, but there are moments where she is, especially at the beginning when she's kind of sneaking off to read a ghost story at mm-hmm. her mother's grave and she comes back home and she's interacting with her stepmother and her sister Claire and she has that kind of sauce to it because her stepmother does not have the highest regard for Mary Wollstonecraft yeah. and so it is where it's like, you can't tell me what I'm reading and I did my work, don't you know, don't tell me what to do. And you you see that there's that ability to have that fire and to be that feisty, but then it just doesn't ever come out and yeah. it becomes so repressed. And Yeah, you described her as a, as a wet blanket in this movie. <laughs> yes. Well, I, yeah, we were, we were saying where it was like, it just, she was so tightly wound. And, and mm-hmm. I think you had mentioned it was like, she was a wet blanket and it's almost like a wet blanket that had been tightly wrapped around someone. So as it dries, it just constricts them more that you're just, (laughs) you're waiting for something to break and it isn't jumping, jumping ahead just a little bit um, because it does, it seems to want to address her depression. Yeah. That you, I didn't get the feeling that it was this woman who was, fighting this depression that she just couldn't break through. It didn't have that sort of tension and mm-hmm. and repression of just seeing that below that it just it just wasn't there and it no. it was frustrating because you're like just maybe a little bit tighter like you're going to break and then and it, it just never there. yeah, it just never pays off. Like it's 
it's weird. Like Maisie Williams is in this briefly, briefly, like three scenes maybe. And um, Maisie Williams feel I feels like the actress that should have been cast here because she has such presence. Like she just like she steps on screen and like you can't look away from her. And she um, has a great voice and just yeah, just great presence. And like that's what I was looking for from this. And instead, it's like well, we kind of went. We went with pretty over presence, right? Essentially, and they're they're at a they're at a tree late at night because it's she's playing Mary's cousin and they're in Scotland and so Maisie and her Scottish accent and they're under a tree and they're talking about t- contacting the spirits of their mothers mm-hmm. and and it's like oh that's right there and it's just you that yeah, could have been interesting. I was like, are you gonna have a seance, guys? Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah, that been like, amazing. I I um. I'm disappointed that the movie really focuses on her and Shelley's relationship. Now, I feel like that's an obvious place to go. Like, obviously, she had this very famous love affair with Shelley. But if you're going to go that route, then go, like, whole hog with that route. Like, don't, like, just sort of touch in and out of that relationship and skip over, like, big chunks. So that was really weird. Like, so basically, we open with um, Mary like constantly going to her mother's grave and just reading out poetry, which is nice. But again, if you don't have the accent, it's awkward. (laughs) Um, And then there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of exposition. (laughs) A lot of exposition. And what book was it? I I admit I, I wasn't paying as much attention. I didn't see. Was it her father's like, it was a like a ghost. It was ghost stories. Yeah, there were ghost stories. I couldn't. Yeah, I I should have been paying attention. She yeah. was trying to hide her love of ghost stories from her father, but her father was like, "Listen, you need to pay attention to these other books on politics and philosophy because there's no, you shouldn't go down this road. This right. is all trash, essentially." Yes. Um, which I think actually maybe that would have been a better direction to take because I did like her relationship with her father actually that was one of the more interesting parts of the movie and I thought that they kind of got that right where she did have a really good relationship with her father he did educate her um he was very supportive of her writing and of her craft and he wanted her to have her own voice and yeah exactly he did say like don't write this trash like I want you to develop who you are as an artist and I'm like yes yes and that was and that was good and that he Stephen Delane, he he had a great where he a great presence of as a a man who he loved Mary's mother, but you know Mary Wollstonecraft. There there's a comment, and you think you know the direction that the movie may be going because Percy comes in and he's mentioning how Mary Wollstonecraft became a thruple and you know like mm-hmm. running off with a married man and his wife, and you know hey nudge nudge wink wink and and. So, uh, Mr. Uh, Godwin. Godwin, I don't want to say Goodwin, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Godwin, like he had that and he, he also saw the toll that it took on his wife. Yeah, yeah. And so. He's kind of like, I know a little bit more about life than you do, Shelley. Right. It's a really nice scene where he's like, yeah, yeah, slow your roll. <laughs> <laughs> right. But also knowing that like his daughter Mary is his wife's daughter. Like, yeah. That's like, okay, I want to. There's like propriety within our society, but I don't want to totally tamp you down. Right. But you also have to live within the rules 
but also Blossom. Yes. That's yeah. A good conflict That's a, it's there. a good conflict with him and her and like, yeah, how he's trying to raise his daughter. I know that I actually feel like that was like the best part of the movie. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, if you guys don't know, basically Shelly um, was invited into Mr. Godwin's home sort of as a student, uh, as uh, Mary's father was also a very famous like, you know, philosopher. And um, yeah. And then, you know, he gets it on with Mary and they run away together. <laughs> right. And in the movie, they meet in Scotland and yes, that's right. They're they're having their flirtations and mm-hmm. little titters with one another of hee hee hee. And then surprise, surprise! Oh well, Mary gets called back because Claire is supposedly on her deathbed. Yeah, then then not. And then not. She's like, oh well. And Mary's like, I thought you were dying. And she's like, well, maybe of boredom. <laughs> and I, Claire being. Claire Claremont, which Claire I love, yes. like a John Johnson or a Brad Bradford. <laughs> Claire Claremont, her stepsister. Stepsister. And uh, then then they know that Mr. Godwin's going to bring on a student and surprise. It's Shelly. Now, what did you think of Shelly's, well, of their chemistry? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know. That, it, mm-hmm. So whether it makes it in to, like, the fun discussions at the beginning, we were kind of riffing at the beginning. So Douglas Booth is a very attractive man. Mm -hmm. He's very pretty, but not in a way that makes me want to, like, clutch my pearls and say, my God, he's so pretty. He's, he's, he is pretty of another era. Right. That is just kind of like, oh, cool. And so... It works for him sometimes, and it mm-hmm. doesn't in other times. And in this one, I mean, he kind of plays a, I know I'm pretty, and just, Ugh, life is hard, and man. And so it just, I didn't see his passion for her, and she really, again, wet blanket. Like, there's yeah. so much repression going on, and like. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the other thing, too. Like, their love story when you read her writing about him, you see that it's like, oh, they had a crazy attraction. And these are two people who were just so wildly attracted to each other that they defied all, you know, conventions to just to be together. And these two are like sort of flirting. I'm not feeling it at all from either of them. I think both of them are like resting on pretty. Yeah. As Tyra Banks would say. Yes. And and there at the beginning there is a little bit of a flirtation, like that beginning flirtation where you're still kind of getting to know one another and mm-hmm. that that worked. But then continuing on there for the trauma and the all of the tribulations that they go through there didn't seem to be a very big basis for that relationship Yeah, to feel the pain of all of the things that end up happening to them. Yeah. And it just and also we don't see all of the things, which is kind of crazy. No. They do kind of talk about some of them. But um, let's talk about the fact that <laughs> <laughs> when Percy Shelley met um, Mary, he was already married. Yep. He had a daughter. And then um, he had a son on the way, which they decide to axe out the son. And I'm not sure why. Yeah, it did seem, and and you would know better than I would, 
did she know that he was married when she originally met him? Yeah. Okay, because he's... Because she really is, I mean, she really is 16 years old. And, like, that, that kind of does hold true in the beginning where she's just like, I don't care. Like, I don't believe in, like you know, these, you know, societal norms. And this right. is like, I believe in free love and people can, you know, choose to love who they who they wish. And right. if he's fallen out of love with his wife, he's fallen out of love with his wife. Because it's she and Claire Claremont are out walking when they run into Percy's wife and yeah. daughter. And as Lauren mentioned, non-pregnant wife and daughter. So, and then she's shocked and that all comes about. So... Probably they they made the not the wife not being pregnant so that it didn't seem quite as bad when Percy yeah. and Mary decide they're in love and decide to run away together because he doesn't love his wife anymore and it was all out of obligation that they stayed married and produced yeah. children. Yeah, I mean she yeah, it, which is kind of it sucks because like the thing about Percy. And Mary is like the mad drama between them, right? And it's like really interesting drama. Like he was already married. He had a baby on the way. He was like, hey, man, I'm not about raising those kids. I just kind of want like to love who I love and be a poet and do whatever I want. <laughs> um, and then his wife was also sending him like these crazy notes as okay. well. And um, like suicidal notes also. Which ultimately, you know, spoiler alert, she commits suicide, which is all kind of cast aside. It's an intense amount of drama. And I'm like, that's what's interesting. Like all this crazy drama. And the movie really waters all of that down. And I don't know if it's because they really want to sell you on them as a couple instead of telling like a really interesting, crazy, true story. So that's why I'm like, disappointment. What is this? Because it's like we also have... Lord Byron in this. Oh, God. Oh, you mean, you mean double chin Byron? Whoa. Oh, yes. Okay, not the entire time. I am not, I I would like it said, I am not body shaming. Sure, sure. I think it was just an awkward costuming when he, situation. When you meet Lord Byron for the first time, his collar is far too tight and he looks like he's like pressing his chin backwards. <laughs> it just, it's very awkward, awkward. I wasn't sure if it was like an acting choice because there were a lot of acting choices being made by Tom Sturridge uh, in that role, which I appreciated because at least he was having fun. Like, like the other two are not having any fun. No, no, it does not look fun. Like Elle Fanning and Douglas Booth. Douglas Booth is is really resting on. He he plays the same character a lot in movies. Um, But he's giving me a Robert... Patterson vibe, like Twilight vibe. Like, yeah. I don't want to be here. So and my he, hair is ridiculous. Yes. So really what he needs is like a Cronenberg. Like, yeah, he does. He, he needs the Cosmopolis to like, well, he did do, as I informed you, he was Boy George in a biopic about Boy George. And I'm curious about that one. With Rob uh, with uh, Rob Stark. I mean, come on. It'll be great. But. I watched that. Um, yeah, no. Byron, like, if. At, at least it was a slight saving grace that Byron was a little bit out there, but not nearly enough. No, he's just like, he just kind of shouts a lot shouts and wears crazy coats. And he's like, he's being a jerk and he's like, meh. Well, yeah. I don't, I never loved Claire, even though she's pregnant and I just, I do what I want. And it's like. We don't see him. You are not a libertine as I have read about. Right, you, right. He's just like a. 
like an Avondale hipster. He's just really kind of boring. Yes. Um, I mean, Tom Sturridge is trying. Like, that's what I, I kind of do love in a bad movie when you see an actor trying. They're like, I am going to go for it. I'm going to make movement choices. I'm going to alter, like, the volume of my voice at weird yep. <laughs> times. I'm going to make some choices to try to give you something to look at. Yes. And so um, he gets a gold star. He does. I have to say my favorite thing is when we both read the playbill that was Werner, a tragedy by Lord Byron, as Wiener, yes. a tragedy by Lord Byron. Which would have been appropriate. 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 That That's the thing. Like, this Byron was remarkably monk-like oh, for as much as Byron liked everything and everyone. Right. Like, they meet... When they get to his estate, um, Claire Claremont, Mary, and Percy, and Claire's like, hey, baby, because she's pregnant and has been sleeping with him on the side, and he, like, lays a kiss on Percy, who's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you, and Mary's having none of it, and I'm like, that was the most boring introduction, and it's like, that was not. Yeah. That was not Lord Byron. No. And so a couple things that they chose to edit out by the time we got to that point, which I thought were really weird choices. One, um, that Percy and Mary and Claire had gone gallivanting around Europe. So I thought that was wildly interesting um, because Mary actually wrote a bunch of travel diaries about this point in her life. And um, next year on the show, I really want to cover those diaries because I really want to cover women and travel, early travel writers. And um, so, yeah, those diaries are fascinating. And I'm like, oh, we don't get, okay, they're just running away and they're just going to live in a shabby apartment. Okay. But, and then I was like, budget, I guess. Yes. But also, like, that would have been fun. But there's no fun in this movie. And yeah. then um, they do talk about uh, the first death uh, of uh, Mary and Percy's kid. Uh, right. So they have a daughter and that daughter dies. Yes, which and... we, jumped, we jumped over that because they, after when Percy and Mary are in love and don't care who care, who knows about it, uh, Mary's father does say, then you can't live here anymore. So mm-hmm. Mary and Percy are running away. Claire asks to be brought with them. So then the three of them go to the shabby apartment. Mm-hmm. And then he, Percy starts borrowing against his father's estate. Yeah. And so they end up in a nice place with uh, servants, servants and, and just wine everywhere. Wine everywhere. And Mary and, and uh, uh, science-y stuff. There's a science experiment going on a couple of times. We're unclear what they were doing. We don't know. <laughs> it, we thought it was going to be wine at the first time, but then when they're at the new house, at the rooms, it's like blue. Yeah, and I I could have done with a movie that was that I I could have done with a movie that was about Mary Shelley. Yeah, because we have a few scenes of her being like interested in science or interest like interested in these things, but it's just very it's put to the side. And I'm like, oh no, I want the Mary Shelley science movie. Like, where's what, what's what's happening? Tell me more about that. It would just be then another like melodramatic scene with like Percy Shelley, and you're like, okay, yeah. I, I've had this. Okay, Purse. Yeah, but then they have to when the creditors come. Their daughter is sick, mm-hmm. and they have to go out in the rain back to their shabby apartment. 
and then the baby dies. Off screen. We, Off screen, yeah. And it happens after because we, we hear that the baby is sick and should be kept warm. And then Percy, they have to run away. And then the next scene we see is after the baby has passed and Mary is depressed, as yeah. one would expect. And then and, they don't show them like, well, they don't show the next two children mm-mm. that happened, um, that passed. And so, yeah, it's kind of strange because, you know, that that I think is what's it's not unique about her depression, I guess, for a woman of her time. But that I think is it is important when you're reading Frankenstein to know that this is a woman who is in the middle of just losing child after child. And by the time she was 18, by the time she was 18 and caught up in this like insane love affair. And so. And nonstop drama. I feel like there was one moment that I actually did appreciate in that film where it was like Claire was like losing her mind over Byron and Byron had just been an asshole and like <laughs> Shelly was drunk and Mary was like the only one who was sober and she was like, Jesus. Yep. She's sitting at, she's at the door after they've decided to leave and you just, Claire is, is pregnant and had just been rejected. So, you know, obviously upset, like valid feeling, yeah. but- She's, like, crying to Mary at the door, and Mary's been dealing with a lot of shit, and you just kind of want her. She looks like she's about to, like, shut the door and just, like, leave all the fools behind. Yeah, and I kind of was like, just go. Just leave <laughs> all of them in that house. Just leave them all there. So we we do get to Geneva. Yes, and but I would say also one thing that I think touched, I mean, they, they briefly touch kind of on Mary's depression that mm-hmm. she, she's shown in bed a lot asleep and she has um, a, a dream about her her daughter who had passed and Claire comes in saying we can go to Geneva let's go Percy's mm-hmm. excited Claire and Percy as we know or hear have been hooking up on the side yeah, and they don't really make that explicit in this movie which I no. actually was kind of upset about they kind of don't hint that other people are having a lot of sex it's like talked about or winked about yeah because like suddenly Claire's just like yeah by the way I'm pregnant with uh, Byron's uh, kid yeah. oh you didn't know we've been hooking up for in secret for months and you're like oh that was interesting yeah we didn't see any of that no there was like a momentary like hint where because <laughs> Byron and his stiff necked uh, shirt like, kind of winks at Claire, but that's it. Yeah, that's what we get a wink. And then Mary hears behind closed doors, Claire's like, my love, you haven't smiled at me in weeks. And Percy answers something, so. And Mary does have that saucy, oh, I know you're able to get a poet. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, I know that you're you're shagging my man. Yeah, so. Which, but, yeah, but, like, I'm like, where, why aren't we seeing any of, this thi- any yeah. of the things on screen? At least... There was, we were, <laughs> there's a, there's a dinner party scene and I mentioned that like, there's a lot of, if you didn't have the like visuals, you would think that there was a lot of like sex going on because there's a lot of like interesting noises going on Yeah, that it is just people like I think they're just sitting. like teasing you, which is yeah. rude. And, you know, on Twitter, I did say, oh, this is like a long episode of Skins, like set in 18, 16 or whatever. But that's not right, guys. No. That's actually not right. Because on Skins, you would see things. Someone would have taken something off. Someone would have taken something off. There would have been like a really, like, I will say this about Skins. <laughs> they um, are able to manipulate the audience and create sort of sexual tension with music and editing and 
great filters. Um, even when there is no, like even when the actors kind of fall short and you right. don't have this in, in this movie, there are some weird sex scenes, but they, they are 10 seconds and you're like, well, what just happened there? Right. When, because they're finally, Mary knows it's after their first time, which was not on her mother's grave. Percy's like, are you sure if you're ready, my love? And then she's wearing her corset and there, yeah, there's like two shots with like an Instagram filter. Yeah, it's bizarre. And I was like, I have seen racier things on PBS. Like this is not cool. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) For a movie about two like out of control people who were supposedly (laughs) doing it on a gravestone, not cool. Yeah, they don't even take off like... Her breasts were so smashed. They were they, still... She looked really uncomfortable. That was actually the thing that I thought during that sex scene. Yeah. I was like, this looks wildly uncomfortable. Yeah, like, at least, like, come on. Yeah, just not cool, guys. No. Like, not cool. But but before they go to... I was going to say, before they go to Geneva and Mary is all in black and she cries, like, she has this moment, like, it was one of her few real releases and she cries saying, I'm not ready to leave yet. Mm-hmm. And I liked that because that yeah. was that really touched on in if you go by the uh, timeline of the movie, she's lost one child. And it, yeah. and it seems very soon after their daughter had passed away. And so then they're saying, like, this will be better. And then Percy's like, no, remember, I miss our daughter too. lift up her spirits, do all this. Yeah, and it's, he's a dick right there. He's such a fucking dick. He's like, I just want to go to Geneva. And why are you sad? <laughs> Yeah, he's like, Cause someone's got it. Like, come on, people need to get some Ugh. and get out there. And then they go to Geneva. And honestly, the movie could have started there. The movie could have started with Mary Shelley's depression, the loss of her daughter, and then everyone going, come on, let's go to Geneva. And I was really excited because I was like, OK, we get to Geneva. This is where I feel like the heart of the movie should be if we're really going to talk about Frankenstein and her depression and... But no, I feel like we're in Geneva for like two scenes and then everyone gets really upset with each other. It's it's like it's so bizarre. It's like we're missing like most of the Geneva scenes. Yes. And we just see this like weird aftermath. And I'm like, why is everyone so upset? Are they right? Percy's or not Percy. Lord Byron says, let's uh, have this ghost story competition. Right. And then that's kind of it. We don't hear anything else about that. No, they, yeah, like, they get there, there's, like, the scene under the, there's, like, they're at a tent, and, like, Claire is trying to get with Byron and, like, kiss him, and he pushes her off, and then Percy's on top of her on, like, pillows, and, okay, I have seen two other movies about this summer. Right, right. One of them being a Ken Russell movie, and so, you know, it's cuckoo banana pants, and so, like, it's hilarious, because I'm, like, that was, I've seen these exact same scenes when it was Eric Stoltz. God bless <laughs> and uh, Laura Dern and uh, um, I think it's Natasha Richardson and Julian Sands and Gabriel Byrne yeah, yeah, as yeah. Lord Byron. Like we're talking, oh, it's so crazy. And Timothy Spall as John Polidori, Ken Russell, you crazy man, I love you. <laughs> but yeah, like so, all this stuff happens, and then the guys are all drunk, and Claire's transcribing something, I think. And so they're all drunk and like making weird noises. Actually, I have to say that was kind of the funny bit is when like Claire was like, hey, I'm tired of transcribing everyone's shit. 
And I was like, this is what's happening in this scene. Claire is like making a stand against transcribing. Like we're not getting any sex. Nope. We're not getting any like ghost stories. Nope. We yep. are just getting Claire on a rant about transcribing shit and everyone gets angry. Yep. And then and that, that's where they Byron's go home. Like, Byron's like, let's do ghost stories. And you, Claire, will transcribe. <laughs> and then she's mad, which good for her. And then she runs off into the rain. It just was like so bizarre to me that the screenwriter, and I think this was the screenwriter's first screenplay, if I okay. remember correctly, I could be wrong, that she presumably did some research. And that was the interesting thing that needed to be said in that, sc- in that yeah. scene. I was like, what? Why is this happening? And it just, everyone gets upset and they leave. Yeah. Like, Percy, Percy finds out his wife drowned herself and so yeah. he goes and gets drunk. The, and it, sound, it feels like it's the night after. Like, it stormed. Claire gets informed that she has to transcribe and that Byron doesn't love her. And mm. so she runs out into the rain. Percy finds out his wife committed suicide. Dr. Polidori says he's going to do a vampire novel and... Everyone make and Percy and Byron make fun of him. Yeah, <laughs> and Percy <laughs> gets slapped. Oh, the slap was actually a good thing because I've never seen a man taken down by a slap like just like rolling across the floor. But I was like, wow, that was a hard slap. Doctor John Polidori, yeah. man can slap <laughs> Percy into submission on the ground. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the only time a man was in a submission and about the only action that happens at that in in Geneva. Really, that's it. And then, you know, yeah, then they leave. And then Mary um, writes Frankenstein and there's a big to-do about publishing it and publishing it with her name on it, um, which is an interesting conversation. Um, It's published anonymously and initially with uh, Percy Shelley's uh, introduction. So a lot of people were giving him credit. And at first he didn't really understand the problem with that. Percy doesn't understand a lot. He's the worst. I don't get their love affair. It's the worst. Yes. And he and that's something when you compare like Claremont and Byron's love affair. And like if you can give Byron at least credit for something and Percy being the worst, you know it's bad. But Percy yeah. also reads Frankenstein and then he... Oh, that, he, that is my favorite scene. I forgot. He <laughs> talks. He's, Mary is asleep and he's like, wow, I read this. It was amazing and you, it's better than I knew you could write. And even though he always said he believed in her, so I give him partial credit for always believing that Mary could be a good writer. He's like, but this is a little sad and like rough and maybe could you make it about finding hope and like in Frankenstein putting a best man together, like an angel. And yeah. Yeah. What if, what if Frankenstein was able to create the perfect man instead of this monster completely missing the point of the book, even an angel to give people (sighs) hope. There were so many times in this movie where I was like, Mary Shelley should leave this asshole. And that was like, I was like, you need to get out right now. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, and, but she does give him a look and she's like, "Uh, no. Yeah, like that's not what this is about. And then, and because she says like, look at me, like it's about where is their hope? (laughs) Where is their like, I have not created anything beautiful and 
Then he's like, okay, well, it's good just as it is. <laughs> he's like, okay, it's fine. You're right. Um, I, I will say, like, yeah, there – what are the things that we like about this movie? You can go ahead. Is there anything that you like about this movie? Uh, we did talk about it. I, I really – I liked touching on the, touching on the end uh, once it does get published um, – Mr. Godwin knows that Mary wrote it and it's also dedicated to him mm -hmm. from the author. And so he holds a salon and invites Mary to this salon to talk about Frankenstein. And in the little like, note, it says on basically on celebration, congratulations on your book being published. Mm -hmm. And so she gets to hear him say that it is one of the best books of the era. And it's like the, what it means of abandonment and just this emotion, and then Percy... Daddy really got the book. Yeah, Dad got it. <laughs> and then Percy comes in, and he's like, oh, thank you, yes, and I, I know I'm getting credit for this, but I can only be given credit because I helped to create that feeling of abandonment, and I am like Dr. Frankenstein in that I could not embrace the monster. I could not be that compassionate, and that it was written by Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, then they have this reconcile. But I, and it, we find out in the placard at the end that Mr. Godwin did help commission a second edition that mm -hmm. had Mary's name on it. So I liked her relationship with that, her father. That is a great, yeah, it's a great relationship. And it, it nicely bookended it that mm -hmm. Stephen Delane really has like cornered the market on like, you don't know that you should like him, but he's got a good heart in there. Yeah. And then like his daughters, he tends to play fathers to daughters that are different in certain ways but he will he doesn't always know how to show that affection but he'll always protect them unless he has to set them on fire to <laughs> you know which movie is that uh it's a game of thrones spoiler okay. um yeah. <laughs> unless he has to set them on fire to like defeat the white walkers sure but, you know sure. okay yeah that's, yeah. that's fair yeah <laughs> that, that was a great relationship yes another thing that we both liked was the knitwear oh yes the which knitwear. you're an expert on yes oh my word um the she has she has this fantastic wool shawl when they have to run out in the oh, rain. Oh, yes. Yes. The one that she's covering her daughter with. Yes. It's a great, great shawl. It's a great shawl. She has a couple of fantastic sweaters. Yes. Uh, one of them knitted by someone in our Facebook group. So or, or Facebook, their mother, I'm sorry. Okay. Their mother knitted that sweater. And I want to know if she knitted anything else for the movie because there's a lot of knitwear. There's a lot. There's a great hat. Oh, a great hat. Did your mom do the hat as well? Because it's great. Yeah, the there's a gray sweater that she wears throughout. I actually did appreciate that she had certain uh, the outfits were recycled. Like she yes, had the one yes. outfit that she wore when she needed to be not that she wasn't presentable, but it was like her dress up outfit and like yeah. her would be her suit and that was great. And so yes, the knitwear was. Just stunning. It's top notch. All the co the costumes are great. Yes. Um. There's like even a little Peter Pan collar shirt with like <laughs> that. I was like, oh, I really want this shirt. I want to not cosplay in these clothes. I just want to wear them right. like as clothes. <laughs> yes. I so agree. I was really into the um the wardrobe and uh, her hair. Her hairstyles were fantastic. I don't know when Mary Shelley had time to do all of that. Like, did she have a lady's maid? I well, don't know. Because Claire. maybe Claire was doing that. Because I was like, that's a lot of braid work. That's a lot of time. Yep. Unclear. Yeah. Getting the ribbons in her hair. It was, mm -hmm. That was fun. It was good. Good stuff. Um, 
Yeah, all the costuming. I'm like, even the dudes looked all right. Yeah. I mean, they... Byron did stand out in his choice of like that coat it, it was great, yeah. Yeah, the elaborate coats and the coal under his eyes to like really. Make oh him yeah, pop. his hair. the The hair on <laughs> Byron and Shelley was a little too much, but it was enjoyable. Here's the thing: so when all when Polidori and Byron and Shelley are all drunk and like I don't know. Byron's making weird, like, animal noises and all that stuff. And Shelly has this, like, insane hair. I'm like, there should have at least been some, like, messing around. Like, if you're going to have yeah. JBF hair, like, at least yeah. have a little bit of effing. <laughs> I mean, it's like we missed the point. It's like <laughs> yes. we missed all of the interesting things. We bypassed all of the interesting things. <laughs> it's just a bunch of people sort of yelling at each other and being wildly unpleasant. Yeah, and it's like, well, if there had been a little bit more, like, friskiness, maybe people would have been happy. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. I will say one thing I, I like about the movie is that it does put forth another, like, or, like, maybe a truer version of Frankenstein. Mm. Um, because I think that, like, now you're battling, like, all these pop culture, you know, versions of Frankenstein. And, like, we're not, we're, we're kind of, like, glossing over the true text. So I, I kind of appreciate appreciated that. It seemed to really get the book. Um, one thing I love about Frankenstein, and I hadn't read it, I think, ever until I actually saw the Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Johnny Lee Miller one. And there's a moment in that stage play where um, Dr. Frankenstein is talking to his fiance and he's like, go like, oh, okay, well, here's the thing I've done, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you you think that there's someone stalking you? There is someone stalking you and me. It's a monster that I created. And I, you know, and she goes, why? Like, why did you do this thing? And he's like, oh, because I wanted to create life. And she's like, why didn't you just do that with me? Right. Like, why do you have to cut the woman out of the equation why do you think that you can do it and you can do it better and like and so that actually like i feel like that's the spirit of that is in this film but um not enough it's like it goes halfway with frankenstein so i'm like is this a movie about her writing frankenstein is this a movie about her and shelly is this a movie about how Hard it was to be a woman in 18, 16, 18, 18. It's like we never really sort of lean into any of these things. No. I love spooky October. So now what other like sort of media do you consume sort of in the October month, in the spooky month? Ooh, the spooky month. Well, uh, podcasts, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, Do you listen to Spooked? No. Yeah, you should listen to Spooked. Nice. I will check that out. It's a good um, one, guys. There is, I was just, um, yesterday and today was catching up on some of my Friday podcasts. I, mm-hmm. I love that I have podcasts. It's usually like Tuesday, Thursday, Friday are like the days my podcasts drop. Okay, gotcha. So yesterday and today I was catching up on my Friday podcasts. And mm-hmm. I've been hearing about and seeing because Halloween 2018 is coming out or is out this weekend. There is a podcast series about the Halloween series that I'm oh, okay. very interested with Amy Nicholson who's doing um unspooled with oh yes with, with Paul, Paul Shear and like three separate podcasts that I listen to have been talking about the Halloween movies and have mentioned right. Halloween unmasked so I'm really tempted to 
That sounds good. Listen to that one. Um, and yeah, I, I'm trying to think if there is, there isn't a movie that I absolutely have to watch in October, but it is always fun to be like, ooh, which ones to watch and, yeah, yeah. and, and checking those out. But there is a book called A Night in the Lonesome October mm-hmm. by Roger Zelazny. Which is 31 chapters. Actually, I think it's 32 because it's one for every day of the month of October. Okay. And the book is narrated. So Roger Zlasny is a famous sci-fi fantasy writer. Mm-hmm. He was, as the story goes, he was um, challenged to write possibly by George R. R. Martin because they were like best friends. Okay. To write a book where Jack the Ripper was the hero of the book. Okay, interesting. So the book is narrated by Jack the Ripper's dog, Snuff. (laughs) All right. And it is about, so every year there is the great game. There is the game. And so there are openers and closers and you don't know. So Snuff, because there are animal familiars to all of these characters who are players in the game. Mm -hmm. And so they have to, Jack has a possessed, cursed knife, which is why he is the Ripper. Okay. So it isn't, he is not evil, but there are also like some of the people that he may be dispatching. It's it's tied in with his cursed knife. And so he has the moniker of the Ripper. So Okay. All right. And so Dracula, uh, Frankenstein and the monster, um, Sherlock Holmes and Watson, um, they're Rasputin. There's all these various characters that are playing uh the wolfman mm-hmm. are playing a part in this and so it's also like you find out about the game there's eldritch horror and so okay. every day there's a read-along throughout october oh so, that's that's cute i like that there's like every day okay so it's that's day nice. by day it goes and like day one is like a page mm-hmm. and then as the game you know as we get closer to the 31st because that is the night of the ritual things get longer so it's a really fun fun book I, um, let's see, what have I been reading? I've been listening to Frankenstein. I'm going to go back and read the 1818 version so I could compare and contrast. That's the goal. Um, Romantic Outlaws, as I've said many times on the show, uh, which is definitely worth picking up. Um, also the Victorian Chase Lounge, which is, it's not lounge as I just recently, like I was looking at the book title and I was like, wait, (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't say lounge. It says long in French, which looks like lounge, but is Got not. Um, which I read a really interesting Merriam-Webster like entry about where they're like, oh, yes, this is a thing. Okay. That when um, Chase lounges were being sold in England, people were like just immediately saying lounge instead of long. Chase long. Yeah. And so long. they just were like, all right, whatever. All right. Now it's a lounge. <laughs> Did not know. Anyway, so um, yeah, that is by Marganita Lasky, and she is an author who, um, I want to say she was born in like 1915, so she's a little bit later than like the authors that we cover on this show, but um, I definitely think she's the, she's definitely worth covering next year. She's very interesting. Um, She wrote a lot of very interesting books, and each one of her books is very, very different, and this one would definitely be under the horror genre in a, in a sense. Um, it is about a woman who 
has just given birth to her first child and just recovered from tuberculosis. But her doctor wants her to like, just take it easy and not really get out of bed. But she's kind of like, she's really fighting him. And so he's like, fine, you can have a change of scenery and you can go into your like your living room essentially. And that she has bought this very ugly giant piece of furniture. <laughs> and when she lays down on this chaise lounge, she um, goes back in time, oh. but to the Victorian era where she cannot really control her body or anything else. And it's wildly upsetting. Wow. So yeah, um, I would like to talk about that further on the show and yeah. some of her other works. But I um, there's a really great um, intro in the Persephone edition of this book written by P.D. James. Oh, oh who, nice. Yeah, P.D. James, I know. R.I.P. Yeah. Oh. And um, she talks about uh, meeting Lasky several times and uh, also talking about how she went away to a spooky, like, haunted house to, like, write this story in a weekend. Nice. So I, I appreciate that, because it does have a very particular feeling. <laughs> um, it's very well written. It's very interesting. It's also super short. So I highly recommend you pick it up from right. Persephone. Okay. Uh, let's see. We have a few recommendations okay. from some listeners that we'll read out. So go ahead and take the top one, Mary. All right. We have the Valancourt Book of Victorian Christmas Ghost Stories in paperback, which is by Arthur Conan Doyle, Walter Scott, and edited by Tara or Tara Moore. Nice. Victorian Christmas Ghost Stories. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So you need need those. As both fans of Doctor Who, we know those Victorians and their Christmas stories. Oh, my gosh. Let's see. We also have The Coffin Path by Catherine Clements. Sounds good. And The Manchester Man by Isabel Varley Banks. Uh, The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell, which deals with a potentially haunted house. And there are paintings that look, I can't remember if it's either by, I I have it on my to-be-read list. Like The cover is great. Mm -hmm. But it's this woman goes to this house and the paintings look like her or like yes. the previous owner okay. and so it's like i am i am down when you said paintings yep creepifying all right i'm down for that actually yeah no it's yeah um dread nation by justina ireland and uh george Eliot's the lifted veil which is a very popular one with yes. everybody yes and the terror by dan simmons also which was recently a miniseries on AMC. Was it? Okay. It is. But The Terror, uh, Dan Simmons is a science fiction fancy writer as well. And his most famous book before this was uh, Hyperion, the Hyperion show, uh, series. Okay. But The Terror is about Sir John Franklin and his two ships, the Terror and the Erebus. Ooh. And Sir John Franklin was from England and he and his crew went to look for the Northwest Passage. Mm-hmm. And so they got ice locked in far northern, in the Arctic Circle, up in okay. Canada. And for the longest time, people didn't know what happened because they just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a big deal. And so Dan Simmons uh, has a supernatural aspect. So there's uh, oh, Inuit, no. there's Inuit uh, mythology included. And uh, something is... Um, stalking and killing Sir John Franklin's crew. Okay. And 
it's very good and creepy. And I highly recommend the miniseries as well, which had um, Kieran Hines, oh. Toby Menzies, um, Dumbledore's kid, Jared Elliott. Oh, okay. All right. This is a good, ca- this is a good cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, hey, it's that guy. Hey, yeah. Okay. It's that guy. All right. Yeah. Um, I will say, I, um, the reason I probably haven't finished Victorian Chase, not Lounge, um, <laughs> is that I have been reading uh, Jezebel's Scary Story Contest, Ooh. which is my favorite spooky reading of all time. So they've been doing this for years. I've been reading it since the beginning. They um, ask users to send in um, their like best true spooky stories. Now, judge for yourself whether or not they're true, but mm-hmm. there are some really good ones in there. Ooh, nice. And um, it's a great thread. It's like 1,900 comments right now. Ooh. Yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty deep. They will pick the 10 best ones, I think, next week sometime. And then in the comments for that thread, people are always like, oh, I missed the deadline. Here's my story. <laughs> So it just kind of keeps going. Um, But I highly, highly recommend it, especially if you just go back and read the winners from the past few years. Like there are some great ones. One, I will just say that one last year um, and not all of them like are supernatural. But this one was about a woman who felt like she was being watched. And um, there was a man living in her wall, essentially, which she just, yeah. And it's like, it's just a terrifying read. And she also goes through the court case as well. And it was um, all over the news too. Like when you, like when I read it, I was like, this sounds familiar. And I went back and I was like, oh yes, this happened in like Cincinnati. And um, yeah, there was a man and he would like sort of, he built like a sort of like a little door and he could get through into her apartment and he would like eat her food and stuff. And yeah. It's the White Chapel. It's the White Chapel yes, episode is. with your boyfriend Sean Evans. It is. It's like essentially that episode, and it's just it's <laughs> insane. And so, um, oh yeah, it was it was crazy. So she wrote a really great like Ooh. account of that situation. So yeah, well, I'll just say a big thank you, Mary, for coming on the show and uh, oh, watching uh, watching this movie with me. Oh, you're welcome, Lauren. Thank you. It was it was a pleasure because you know what? I don't know that I would have sought this movie on my own. But it was truly a pleasure to watch it with you. And Thank you. I didn't want to watch it alone. No. The commentary was fun. And now we'll just, we will have to watch like Gothic or something. Yes. Which is the other side of the spectrum. <laughs> which goes full throttle with those themes that we, we thought were missing. Yes. Like full on man dressed up as an incubus sitting on, uh, may have even been Natasha Richardson's chest. Like, we're talking that painting that was Mary Wollstonecraft's lover's painting. That happens All in right. the movie. All right. Fair. That's fair. Yep. I Okay. We should have seen that movie, guys. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be another episode. Yeah. All right. Um, guys. Oh, yeah. Hannah's not here, so I totally forgot. I should probably do the social media tag, shouldn't I? So if you guys would like to find Bonnets at Dawn on the internet, you probably already know how, but I'm just going to tell you anyway. You can email me at bonnetsdawn at gmail.com or you can Facebook me at Bonnets at Dawn at Facebook. Just search for it up in the top bar. You know, answer a couple questions. Let us know that you're not a robot and we might let you in. Um, Twitter, Bonnets at Dawn. Instagram, Bonnets at Dawn. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Bye. Bye.